Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. It's Friday, and we are talking about why GOP Representative George Santos is being asked to resign, why immigration advocates are questioning the Biden-Harris administration, and we have to talk about the controversy surrounding actor Evan Peters' Golden Globe win, as well as the reason why a married couple are arguing over a Christmas bonus can this be real? Get ready for another round of political and trending highlights of the week. Please welcome my Friday co-host, activist and radio personality, Dominique DePrima. Hi, Dominique. Hi, Tammy Mack. Political analyst, Ed Sanders. What's going on, Ed? Comedian and filmmaker, Alicia Cooper. Hi, Alicia. Hey, Tammy. Happy Friday. And contributor for RedState.com, Jeff Charles has joined us. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Glad to be back. It's good to be back. Absolutely. So um, I, can, I think we can uh, get started today with elected GOP Congressman George Santos. Uh, he's facing backlash from his party as a growing number of House Republican lawmakers are calling for him to resign. Now, Santos has admitted to lying about his employment and education history and other claims he made about his biography. Uh, Republican lawmakers call for him to resign or he say he can't serve effectively or they, they say he can't serve effectively. Um, even as uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy has stood by the embattled congressman. And on Thursday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said George is a member in good standing of the Republican conference despite a growing scandal linked to widespread deception. How do we feel about this? Should he continue to serve the public as an elected official, Dominique, go. Well, you know, this guy reminds me of Kevin DeLeon, our disgraced racist council member in Los Angeles. Of course he should step down, but he won't because he doesn't want to. Um, he lied, he cheated, and he may have committed crimes in order to get into office. So he's certainly not gonna give up without a fight. And of course, Kevin McCarthy is gonna downplay his potential crimes because the Republican majority in the House is very, very slim. McCarthy needs his vote. So he could do anything uh, short of, you know, as Donald Trump would say, stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody dead. And McCarthy's gonna stand by him at this point. Jeff? Yeah, you know, I think it should be up to his constituents. I mean, if I were his constituent and he conned me into voting for him by lying, then I would definitely vote for him to step down. But I don't even know if there's a mechanism to make that happen because our government always protects its own. I have I have even even better idea. Get rid of every congressman who has lied to get their position. In other words, get rid of every congressman. Yes, all of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but there's lying, Jeff, and then there's lying. I mean, this guy has lied and he and it looks like there's some pretty serious campaign finance problems. How do you loan yourself seven hundred thousand dollars a year when you make fifty five thousand? OK, take all the congressmen who have had campaign finance issues and get them out of office. Shut the whole thing down. I mean, because the thing is, it's not just George Santos. He's just a symptom of an overall problem. All of uh, uh, almost all these people. Do doesn't that have to start somewhere? Doesn't uh, doesn't the beheading has have to start somewhere? Yeah, I, I don't care where it starts, but it needs to start. That's where you're minimizing the fact that this guy is an outlier. Every congressperson doesn't loan themselves seven hundred thousand dollars when they're only making fifty five. Every congresswoman and man doesn't say they're Belgium when they're really from Brazil. I mean, he is an extreme. I, I don't think that sleazy corrupt behavior is an outlier for our Congress. Not at all. <laughs> and you're saying, Jeff, just so we're clear, you're saying Republicans and Democrats and independents. Yeah, all of them. I, I don't care what party they belong to. Mm, somebody sounds fed up. Ed? Yeah, but all that does is just ignore what's right in front of us. And, and, you know, when we're looking at George Santos, we're really talking about a fraud. And, 
you know, separate and aside from him as a person committing the fraud, I'm looking at his party. I'm looking at the Republican Party for how they're reacting to it. I, I think Dominique nailed it where um, uh, Speaker McCarthy was doing will do anything to protect that that slim majority that he has that gives him the speakership. So they're not willing to kick him out. Right. Um, but in doing so, I think the Republican Party is going to really uh, do itself a disservice by showing their zeal for power. They'll, they'll overstep their own uh, morality. Well, I'm like Jeff. Is there a mechanism that allows for him to be gone other than resignation? Because Kevin DeLeon, much like Dominique mentioned earlier in California, in Los Angeles, uh, is not going to resign. And there is no mechanism to uh, force him to resign unless, of course, he is not elected in the next term. Well, there's a recall election against Kevin DeLeon right now. They're collecting signatures. If the constituents, to Jeff's point of his district, enough of them sign it, there'll be a recall. But it's a big old waste of, of taxpayer money. The Congress could remove, uh, they could remove Santos, but they won't. And um, so it's going to take a criminal conviction. Alicia, you want to jump in? Yeah, this whole system needs to be burned down and started over. It shows all the flaws in the system that these con men can keep a job. It shouldn't be up to the constituents. There should be a mechanism in place. If you get what other job can you keep after being found out lying to get it? You know, this is ridiculous. The United States. Exactly. It's George Santos. I don't even know if that's his (laughs) real name. This man has lied about everything. He is a disgrace. And he I don't even know why it should even be a question when somebody's caught lying like this, whether or not they should be able to stay in a job they lied to get. And I don't care how many people have to go down. This is a flawed system. And it only hurts the um, only hurts the people. Yeah, exactly. I kind of got to give credit to Donald Trump for blowing this system up. (laughs) (laughs) If he deserves any, there it is. As the Biden-Harris administration seeks to strengthen security and reduce surges at the United States-Mexico border, advocates for black immigrants uh, say some of Biden's new policies will add to what they argue are long existing racial biases in our immigration system. How do we feel about this? Should I give some uh, small details here? Rather than trying to enter the country at the border, Biden officials ask that migrants uh, apply online using the Customs and Border Patrol app CBP1 and schedule an appointment to begin a protection claim. Interesting. Applying online is the administration's strategy to reduce the number of migrants at the border, which has reached record levels in the past two years uh, amid instability in the Caribbean and countries in the Southern Hemisphere. So how do we feel, Alicia? Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious if you're walking through the water trying to get to another country, do you have Internet access? I don't really know how... uh, how how um, effective this new system is going to be. And I don't know. I just I mean, will they have checkpoints at, you know, the entrance where you can, you know, go in and and and, and grab a, a online computer, a computer and log on? It, it is a really interesting answer or solution, I should say it. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we've seen barriers like this erected throughout history. Um, I mean, what's what's for us and the soulmates, what we've got to look at is, is this is how they're treating uh, African peoples in the Caribbean. And when you think about Haiti and you think about the history of Haiti, um, you, you, I think you get a clearer picture of it. I'm a little disappointed in, in the administration, but it's not just the administration. This has been since Haiti's inception. Uh, you know, this country has never recognized Haiti as a as a true country. And it's largely because of uh, the the enslaved Africans overthrowing their colonial masters. And, you know, you bring that up, but it's it's been 200 years and it still continues today, as we can see at our own border. Yeah. Immigration advocates have expressed concerns that the latest uh, moves by the administration seek to prevent migrants from crossing the border, denying their legal right to asylum. Uh, Dominique, where are we? Well, yeah, I mean, they do have a legal right. That is part of our system. You can seek refugee status here. And the Biden administration is using something set up by Donald J. Trump, this Title 42, to keep people out using COVID as an excuse. But to Ed's point, the racism in our immigration system is It goes all the way back to the very beginning. We can cite the Chinese Exclusion Act. This is, yes, Haitians have been targeted, but it it applies to African nations. 
all these so-called ishhole countries have a hard time getting in here. If you're from Canada or Norway, we roll out the red carpet or the Ukraine for that matter. And so that is a problem. And it seems that the policies of the Biden administration are exacerbating that problem. They and this, have to overturn 42 and instead they're leaning into it. This is a problem in America, period, right? It doesn't matter if it's a, a Democratic administration that's uh, running the country or Republican. This seems to be an American problem, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, neither party wants to fix our immigration system. I mean, I've heard stories from from various people who reached out to me that talking about how hard it is for them to come here legally. I mean, Republicans always complain about illegal immigration, but they don't want to do anything to to uh, to address the fact that sometimes it is easier to come here legally, uh, illegally rather than doing it legally. I don't know how much this new system is really going to benefit anything. I mean, the only benefit I can think of is that people won't make that dangerous trek if they if they're rejected online. But I, I don't even know if that would work. So to me, if they're going through the proper channels, then our, our immigration system can decide whether we give them asylum or, or not. But it, the, the overarching issue is that our government, regardless of party, Democrat or Republican, does not want to fix our immigration system. And that's why we're seeing a lot of what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Um, the part of this uh, solution that gets me more or most is uh, schedule an appointment to begin a protection claim. That is so laughable. You can barely schedule an appointment with the doctor's office in America right now. And please don't try calling a credit card company or your bank or the phone company. Uh, you are on hold for hours upon hours. And then when there's someone finally answers, it's an immigrant. Matt, I mean, I, I just imagine myself fleeing from a drug cartel while staying online to get an appointment for my refugee status. Right. And, and, be, and be in charge international minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good look, Joe Biden. Y'all have got to fix this and fix this in a real way. OK, let's just fix it in a real way, because this is not a good look. Uh, we're going to talk about a high school English teacher um, next um, uh, who just recently Die. We'll talk about it when we return. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack, and we are talking about the political and trending highlights of the week. If you're just now joining us, that is what this conversation is about. Um, the 30-year-old high school English teacher and cousin of Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors, Keenan Anderson, was allegedly killed by Los Angeles police officers after being involved in a traffic accident. Here's a clip, but we want to warn you that this video may be triggering for some. Turn over, I'm going to tase you. Turn over, or I'm going to tase you. Turn over, I'm going to tase you. According to the body cam footage, the officers who arrived repeatedly tased and restrained him in the middle of the street. He was transported to the hospital, went into cardiac arrest and passed away four and a half hours later. One officer held his elbow uh, on Anderson's neck while he was lying down before another tased him for roughly 30 seconds straight before pausing and tasing him again for five more seconds. Minutes after, Anderson appeared to be concerned with the officer's behavior and eventually started to flee, which led to a police chase. Patrice Cullors told The Guardian, my cousin was asking for help and he didn't receive it. He was killed. She continued, these types of killings and this type of force will not be interrupted unless we have courageous elected officials come forward and challenge not just the police, but also the policies. Uh, this is this this is this is a dangerous one, guys. This is a dangerous one. Jeff. Yeah, when I watched that video, I mean, and, and when I read about it, because I actually wrote about it for for Red State, and he, the, according to the report, the toxicology, he had cocaine and cannabinoids in his system. They haven't released the cause of death yet. But when I watched that video, I see excessive force. I don't know whether the taser contributed to his death or not, but regardless of whether it did, there was no reason for that officer to be tasing him like that. He wasn't a threat. 
He had two other officers holding him down. He wasn't going to hurt anybody. And I get that when you're trying to apprehend somebody, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but you can't just tase somebody repeatedly and repeatedly point blank just because he wasn't turning over. To me, the, the officer, regardless of what the toxicology uh, shows, that officer is probably going to get off because I guarantee you that this is part of the, this is part of the policy for the LAPD. And if he's within that policy, he's not going to get punished. And that is the problem when we have have the government implementing these policies and protecting their own. These things are set up to protect government officials like police officers with guns who abuse their authority. It. I think Jeff's right. I mean, the, the use of the taser in this was was not about subduing a subject. It was really about inflicting pain because he wanted him to turn over. And there's a distinction in there where you're using a taser to try to inflict pain. That's that's really torture. Um, you know, in L.A., I, I think there were three shootings since the beginning of the year um, where three people have been killed by the police. And so we're here locally in Los Angeles really looking at this issue closely because um, we're going right back to where we were uh, just after George Floyd uh, as a city. Um, you know, I think the, the last piece is on Patrice's statement. She talks about elected officials. The, the truth of it is we've got to deal with the judicial side of this on the judges um, who are deciding and allowing the uh, police officers to get off on the lawsuits. There's this connection between police unions, law enforcement and the judicial system that allows them to continue this behavior that we've got to continue to shine light on. Of course, Alicia. Yeah, and I think when I was looking at the video, it looked like he was handcuffed when they were tasing him. Like, it just, it was so um, egregious what they were doing. And we thought, you know, uh, camera phones would help change the system. Body cameras would help change the system. Nothing is seeming to work. And I feel like if you're going to drug test the victim, you also need to drug test the cops. You know, I think I think what should happen for one should happen for both. Maybe that cop was on cocaine. It this the whole thing is just so annoying. Yeah. Dominique. Yeah, first of all, I want to challenge you, Jeff, on why you led by saying he had cannibal cannabis and cocaine in his system, allegedly. To me, that is totally irrelevant in the sense that those cops did not know that. This man flagged down the police for help after he was in a traffic accident. He was not a robbery suspect, he's not a homicide suspect. He was calling on them to help him after he was in a traffic accident. He was a young father, he was a beloved English teacher, he was related to one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. And this, to start off with that, which I, I feel like the right and the police always do, they try to smear the victim to make it more acceptable. Second of all, it's true that the LAPD is allowed to tase people, but the, the length of time they were holding those tasers on him is definitely out of policy. And number three, to me, the fact that this young man said, they are trying to George Floyd me, he said it twice, and that didn't shock the officers into stopping the torture and murder that they were doing, that says something really scary about those officers. If someone says to you, you're trying to George Floyd, they were not in danger. They were, they had him subdued and they're telling him to, to stop moving, but they're tasing him. If you have 50,000 watts of electricity going through your body, you cannot stop moving. It's physically impossible. This is torture. This is murder. And it is definitely out of policy. And, yeah, and, and, they, I, and, they, and they weren't chasing down an armed violent criminal. You know, it was it was unnecessary. Yeah. And I brought up the toxicology precisely for for the reason that you just mentioned, Dominic. That's what they're going to use to justify this. I don't I don't care whether he was on drugs or not. What they did was wrong. But that's part of the facts of the story that will be used to justify what the officers did, because the system is designed to protect government officials. Well, maybe don't do their job for them. Maybe don't lead with that. Maybe lead with young father, beloved English teacher, accident victim. I would rather lead with the government abusing somebody because that's what this is. This was tyranny. And the, the facts of the case are the facts of the case. But nothing excuses what those officers did. We need to end qualified immunity. Yep. Absolutely. In an effort to attract more diverse police officers, speaking of police officers, law enforcement agencies plan to recruit candidates from historically black colleges and universities because they just found out that they exist. According to the <laughs> International Association of Chiefs of Police, recruitment has been a serious concern and departments are struggling to recruit and hire police officers. Um, let's talk about it. 
Let's talk about recruiting um, these police officers. Is this a good idea? Ed? It's a phenomenal idea. Uh, I mean, we're talking about really a, a, a phenomenal career. Uh, when you start looking at, you know, the pay scale of, of police officers across the country, um, you know, the benefits that, that they enjoy and the 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 sense of accomplishment that that officers who serve well get. It's a great career. It should there should be a pipeline at universities. And 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 I say that because police officers that are well informed about the history of policing in this country, well informed about the history of the communities that they're serving are only going to be better officers. And if we're looking to recruit more people of color into the profession, then certainly we should set up something at HBCUs. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, like we were talking about before, my concern is how they use their authority. And if this maybe helps to decrease these types of these types of um, incidents, great. I'm all for it. So Yarnell Rickett, who works for the San Antonio Police Department and is an alumni of uh, Central State University in Ohio, said minority officers are needed and now is the time. He continued with, there's a generation of officers who are leaving because they don't like the transparency, the accountability. A lot of that old thinking in policing is going away. Um, I've always thought this. I've thought that in order to create something new, you have to kind of get rid of the people with the old mentality because they are custom and they're used to um, things being the way that they are. And it's very hard to change people's mind when they've been winning all this time. And now all of a sudden you want to change policies and I have to abide by new rules. This is not cool. Dominique. Yeah, but except for right now, statistics show that black officers kill black people at a higher rate than white officers. So you've got to change the system first. You've got to change the policies. You've got to change the accountability. And then you can bring in this new crop. Uh, we have a big problem with Latino officers killing black folks in this town. So we've got to change the institutions and get rid of the white supremacy, then bring on the new folks. Alicia? Yeah. And if you take these black officers and make them the only one in a white force, nothing's going to change. It was a black officer with George Floyd. It was a black officer and the Rodney King melee. It, it doesn't it, it, it has to be more than just this black officer. It has to be a black officer who comes in with the mindset of I'm not going to follow the flock when the flock does wrong. But it has to be a mindset of a significant amount of officers to make that happen and, and for us to see that materialize an entire new force. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back on The Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack. And the Business of Being Black today are the political and trending topics of the week. Yes, I have Dominique DePrima with us. I also have Jeff Charles, Ed Sanders, and Alicia Cooper joining us. On Tuesday, antique, an antique gallery owner was caught on video spraying a black homeless woman as she sat outside his store. Take a look at this. Okay. Um, the antique owner said he sympathized with the homeless woman's situation and added that he has repeatedly called the police and social services whenever the victim became disruptive, saying absolutely nothing can be done about the issue. Was he wrong? Was he right? He had to take it into his own hands, Dominique. Uh, he was very wrong. I mean, that's a human rights abuse. We saw there's a similar video going around something that happened. Uh, one of the people at the Scientology Center here in L.A. spraying another unhoused person. I understand the frustration. I understand you don't want that person at your business or your home. But you don't get to treat people like dogs. You don't get to treat people like trash. And we have to find another way. They need to contact the homeless services instead of contacting the police or, or go to a neighborhood. Well, he police. said he had contacted social services and the police. No one and go has to gang done. intervention or, you know, uh, gets find a way to get them into a hotel room. You don't get to treat people like trash. They are human beings. Alicia. Yeah. We need to stop black homeless hate bill. 
Because whenever <laughs> something happens to other people, they get a bill. And this was the, the sad thing about it was that after he did what he did, he got results. They showed up, they moved the, the lady out. And I hope that that doesn't make other people feel like they need to do that to get results. You know, the system needs to act fast. Clearly, the lady has some mental health issues. And what he did was absolutely barbaric. That was inhumane. That was horrible. And if somebody hadn't recorded it, he would have gotten away with it. But he looked unhoused. You know, I'm like, look at this. It was it, the fact that he would do this to a woman. And it makes me question if he would have done this to a white unhoused woman. Yeah, clearly, I mean, he was frustrated, right? You know, the the. Um, and to Dominique's point, you can understand its frustration. You can understand, you know, his desire to keep his business going. Um, I, I look at it this way. I, the, the woman was on the public sidewalk and, you know, from a, you know, I think if I step back and look at it, he's actually assaulting her, you know, on the sidewalk. Now, I understand the frustration that she's out in front of his business, but, you know, whether or not you're getting response from your police department or or mental health, I, I you shouldn't. Uh, uh, aggressively attack people right. in public space like that. So. Right. Right. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why that wouldn't be considered assault. I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to get in trouble. Probably not. Good point. Good point. Yeah, I mean, because you can't just hose somebody down. And again, like Ed said, I understand the frustration. That's his place of business. But it's she wasn't going in there attacking his business, throwing stuff on the ground and being disruptive in that way. She was on public property. And again, this is another failure of government. I mean, that guy's paying taxes to the government to take care of this stuff, and they're not taking care of it. That does not justify what he did, though. I mean, I don't I don't see why he wouldn't get arrested for this. But I, I, I mean, we know that's not going to happen. So what would the solution have been? You're going to have to keep finding community service organizations until you find one that will help you help her. Or you're going to have to go into your own pocket and move her into a hotel room and then, you know, send a bill to the city. I mean, be creative about it. You've got you 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 got to remember human beings are human beings. To Jeff's point, I can't say, well, I called the police and they didn't come. So I decided to shoot the guy because he was bothering me. Like, that's just not how it works. I don't know that there's really any real thing he should have done. You know what I mean? Like if if people weren't coming to his store because she was out front scaring customers or, or throwing stuff at customers, which I don't think is the case. I think she was just there. The honest truth is, I, you know, everyone in Los Angeles is at this point used to dealing and seeing people um, that are in distress on the streets. And it doesn't stop you from going in a business. He was just being very malicious that morning. Yeah, that's also a good point, because I was wondering, I mean, was she really acting in a way that was preventing customers from coming in? I doubt it, because chances are she would probably have to commit a crime to prevent people from going in, being violent or whatever. We don't, we so, don't necessarily no know that, because some people would decide not to go into the art gallery just based on the uh, the atmosphere. So we, we don't we don't have a real answer to that. Right. And in Los Angeles, there has been a rise with um, violence towards people from uh, from from homeless people. I know three people personally who have been um, hit across the head by homeless people downtown. I I am not suggesting that this person did uh, should have done what he did. I'm just wondering what is the solution when this happens? Yeah, the solution is to go about your way and open your business and, and, and do your business. It, it, it's not to assault people just because you're frustrated. Los Angeles-based City National Bank has been required to pay more than $31 million in the biggest redlining settlement during the Department of Justice's history uh, for discrimination. The bank is the latest to be found systemically avoiding lending to racial and ethnic minorities. Look, something we've all known. My goodness. According to the Justice Department, between 2017 and 2020, City National Bank avoided marketing and underwriting mortgages in majority Black and Latinx neighborhoods in Los Angeles County. And according to federal officials, other banks operating in those neighborhoods received six times the number of mortgage applications that City National did. So what are your thoughts on this? Um, Dominique, you're right here in Los Angeles. Yeah, well, Los Angeles has a history of, rate, of racial covenants, which actually were contracts that prevented black people from buying in certain neighborhoods. Not at all surprising. My issue is, can we now make sure that some of this money goes to repair the harm so that there are programs to help 
black home ownership and Latino ownership of homes, because so many times these funds will get um, appropriated, go into the general fund, uh, slap on the wrist for the bank, no help for the community. Yeah, I always wonder where the money went and why there's no accountability to how this money is spent. Jeff. Yeah, I mean, that's the government for you. I mean, if they were to do something like that, fine, that, that, that's that's fine. But I think this is yet another story showing how black people as a community, we need to be building more black financial institutions that won't discriminate and discriminate against us. I know that's not as easy as it sounds, but people are doing it. And, and, and I'm glad to see that there seems to be an increase in more black owned financial institutions that serve communities that these other companies won't. I would like to see even more of that. I mean, the what government are some, is- Do you know of any, Jeff? What are some that you know about? Yeah, there's a Greenwood Bank. I mean, that that one just opened up, I think, a, like a year or two ago. I mean, there are more. Now, there's still not enough. I mean, I think we still need more. But I, mean, I think that federal. I mean, there, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, there are. I mean, I won't say that there's plenty. We need more. But right. I think that that's probably going to be a better solution than waiting for the government to get their act together. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, the, the the access to capital for housing has always been an issue, right? And um, I've, I've always been a proponent of one of these things, like uh, like the way the education system started, a lot of the, the state schools that, that in various states, particularly in the South, that you needed a, a government bank that specialized in underwriting housing loans for, for particularly for African-Americans. When I looked at this case, and I'm, and I'm actually curious about it, the City National is is not one of like the larger banks. It's not a Wells Fargo. Right. It's not a Bank of America. Exactly. Um, and you know, I'm I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm sitting, and I'm thinking, well, no, I've never seen a City National ad for a mortgage, but it's always been sort of an entertainment bank. And so I, you know, I, obviously someone passed the judgment on where they were doing their advertising for for mortgages. So you know, I mean, ultimately that's the mechanism that you start to hold these financial institutions accountable for. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Hopefully we get something more out of it. Alicia. Yeah. And looking, looking into putting your money, some of your money into a black owned bank is a, is a good thing. If Kanye had put some of his money in a black owned bank, he wouldn't have been kicked out. Um, but uh, <laughs> if Kanye would have been the black owned bank, he, right. he would have gotten kicked out. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, but this happens to us in every area, even in the 70s when Donald Trump was putting B on applications and wouldn't rent to the black people trying to rent in his buildings. They've all, every industry dogs us out. It's just whether or not we can catch him. And this one got caught. Mm, mm, mm. We can't catch a break, can we? We can certainly catch a commercial break, though. Let's go. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack and the Business of Being Black or are or is this week's political and trending highlights of the week. My, my mouth got a little muffled there. The Pittsburgh Steelers are facing backlash after performing a CPR celebration just one week after Buffalo Bills football player DeMar Hamlin's injury. Steelers linebacker um, Alex Highsmith received criticism as fans slammed him, calling the celebration tasteless and classless. Hamlin has been released from the hospital and is on the path to recovery. What are your thoughts on this news? Hmm. Anyone, anyone? And, you know, look, I, when I saw it, I've seen that celebration um, a number of times. I, I didn't take it to be, you know, like when, a when you say Ed, when you say you've seen that celebration a number of times, do you mean you've seen it prior to the Pittsburgh Steelers most recent celebration? Yeah, yeah, it's it's generally not I you know, it's not like a CPR thing. It's it's generally like, you know, you're hey hey hey, you know, congrats on the sack. It's not I think it's being connected to the DeMar Hamlin thing more than it really was. I I take Alex Highsmith at his word that that's not what the intent was. Um, it didn't look like that to me. I mean, he's a, I get it. He's a Pittsburgh Steeler. It's a, you know, it's, it's an AFC rival. Uh, you know, he's a middle linebacker. So, you know, he's an aggressive player, but you know, in the end game, it, it didn't look like that to me. Yeah. Jeff. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those situations where we probably should have some grace. I mean, it wasn't a, the best look, but at the same time, I mean, I don't think that he was intending to make a mockery of what happened to Demar Hamil Hamlin. I just think that you know, I, a lot of the outrage that we have isn't always necessary. Like, I, I, I don't think that this is that big of a deal. Dominique. Yeah, I'm pretty sure DeMar Hamlin's not looking at it that way, although I haven't heard. I'd love to hear what he has to say. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but for me, we're doing all these things and taking attention away from the fact that the NFL needs to take responsibility for how they treat players. They don't get to pat themselves on the back for agreeing to pay for DeMar Hamlin's medical expenses throughout the year, even though he's a rookie, so he wouldn't normally qualify. They need to look at how they take care of their players. Uh, raising the protections, uh, shortening the season, being more serious in their treatment of uh, concussions. That's what they need to look at. And that's what deserves our criticism. Alicia? Yeah, and I just think it was the timing of everything. I do take the guy his word. I mean, that would be the worst case of not reading the room. Right. Really thought that that would work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think they meant any maliciousness behind it. Yeah, great points, Dominique, uh, when you talk about the NFL and its uh, its treatment towards its own players. So let's talk about the Golden Globes, people. Families of the victims of Jeffrey Dahmer were less than happy with the Golden Globes after Evan Peters won Best Actor for his role playing the serial killer. Shirley Hughes, the mother of, uh, of Dahmer's victim, Tony Hughes, said there's a lot of sick people around the world and people winning acting roles from playing killers keeps the obsession going. And this makes people sick. It makes sick people thrive on fame. It makes sick people thrive on fame. Yeah, this is a tough one, Alicia. Yeah, um, I feel the pain of the family. Um, of course, they're hurting. This is not something you'll ever get over. But I don't think anybody's going to start eating people because Evan Peters won a Golden Globe. So I don't I don't really agree with that assessment. Um, the guy did a great job. He deserved to win. And um, their issue should be with the producers, not with Evan Peters. He did his job and he did it well. But I don't believe it's going to spark all these cannibals because, you know, they put this out. You know, if you're crazy, you're crazy. Ed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of blame to go around here. I, I think it starts with the the script writer and uh, onto the producer um, and then, you know, eventually to the actors. I, this is a topic that that you don't need to see on film, um, you know, and if we're if we're going to put up some some measure of morality on what types of film that we're going to make and produce. This is certainly one of those that should have never been brought forward. Um, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer was a disgusting person that, that, you know, got his justice in jail, but making a film about him is not, not, you know, that's not something we should be doing. Well, I, I see your point, Alicia, but I think what she's talking about is the glorification of serial killers. It's why some news agencies, don't say the names of mass shooters because we don't want to make it a path to glory. Um, I also think the family have a legitimate point in wishing the families in wishing that the actor would have said something, you know, provided some context or donated some money or dedicated it to the victims uh, rather than just saying, well, I hope some good comes out of this. And, you know, thanks to the Golden Globes. That's not just on the actor. That's his publicist. That's his team. That's the Golden Globes. It is a sensitive issue. You're talking about profiting off of the tragedy of human lives. And I think that, that some folks dropped the ball and some opportunities were missed. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, yeah, I agree that they could have acknowledged the victims a, a, a lot more. Um, and but I when when I watched the series, I didn't get the the sense that they were glorifying it. I, and I know that there are a lot of productions that do glorify this stuff. But really, when I watched it, I saw the social commentary about how these these black men and black men were being victimized, and the police, they, the government, chose not to do anything about it. And I think that making that commentary was it was important. I I didn't really see it as much about Dahmer, but as about society in general. And I think that if somebody was doing that stuff today, I think that, that it would probably be pretty similar to how it happened back then with the government not really uh, getting themselves involved. But I do understand where, where she's coming from. I mean, that has to, that has to hurt. You don't get over something like that. And I do think that the production team could have done a better job of acknowledging the families of the, of, of the victims. But overall, I don't think that it promotes people being obsessed with sick behavior. 
Yeah, what, I think what, what I think I'm, when 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 Dominique talks about the glorification, um, she's really talking about just the fact that it is on television, that it has been made into a film, that we are now um, looking at this man on television, which is kind of recreating the scenarios that have happened. The fact that it was the most one of the most watched series on Netflix, that's glorification in itself. And also, it seems like when they do these uh, biopics about real people, the families don't even get, their states don't even get compensated. You know, when they did the Henrietta Lacks movie, I was shocked to find out that Henrietta Lacks family didn't get anything. Um, if you're using people's real name, real image, real likeness, real stories, I feel like the estate should be compensated, but it doesn't happen. Yeah, that is interesting. Speaking of the Golden Globes, while walking the red carpet, Abbott Elementary star Shirley Ralph seemingly shaded the Kardashians when she was asked about advice she would give her 15-year-old her teenage self. Take a look. And there is certainly nothing wrong with your lips because there will be some people called Kardashians and they will pay $10,000 for your lips. Hang After in there, 15-year-old Cheryl Lee Ralph. You're good. After, you certainly are good. After her comment went viral, it was met with mixed reactions. But later that night, Cheryl Lee Ralph uh, reposted the clip and tweeted, I said what I'm said. I'm going to bed. Good night. What are your thoughts on Cheryl Lee Ralph's advice to, other, to her younger self and the possible side eye to the Kardashians? I just want to say straight up, I don't believe she was shading the Kardashians. I believe she was answering the question and going back in time to tell her 15 year old self, there will be these people who you don't know now, name the Kardashians who are going to buy your lips. So you're good, you're good. That's how I felt she she meant it. They, they asked, Alicia. Yeah, I don't think she was shading them. For, you know, if she was, she would have called them the Kardashians. And she really made oh, a great a point. You know, I, I, what I get mad about is so many brothers who will uh, uh, give credibility to these women who are black fishing, but then will tell black women they're not good enough. Kanye and men like that. They'll put these women on a pedestal, give them credibility for, for doing everything we've already done because black women are the blueprint. But at the same time, then they won't date a black woman. So I have a bigger issue with them. Then, then the Kardashians or what Shirley Ralph said. Shirley Ralph dropped the mic, and she was exact. She knows what it's been like. Cheryl has faced colorism. She should have had a huge career after Dream Girls. So she knows exactly what she's talking about, and just keep going and look where it's gotten her. And she's an elder, and listen to the elders. <laughs> you said we should listen to the elders. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to go to a break so we can come back and finish this conversation. I don't want to uh, tie you all up into having to speak and then I got to go to commercial break. Yeah, I'm going to hold tight on this one. Mm, my lips are good, too. I'm good with my lips, my skin color. Thank you, Cheryl Lee Ralph. You was talking to me, too. You was talking to me. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack, and the business of being black today is are the trending and political highlights of the week. We were talking about actress Cheryl Lee Ralph and her shading of the Kardashians. I'm not sure if we can get that clip back up or not, but I wanted to remind the audience uh, just about what she said when she, when the reporter asked her to give advice to her 15-year-old self. Can we get that clip again? And there is certainly nothing wrong with your lips because there will be some people called Kardashians and they will pay $10,000 for your lips. Hang in there, 15-year-old Cheryl Lee Ralph. You're good. You're good. Ed, is she good? She's great. I, look, I, I, I wish that, I don't know what the whole clip was, but obviously the context was 
you know, for her at 15 years old, there, there were, uh, I'm not going to I can help you a little bit with the context of the whole clip. It was basically the same. There's nothing wrong with your skin color. There's nothing wrong with the way your hair grows out of your head. And there are nothing, there's nothing wrong with your lips because people named the Kardashians will buy, pay $10,000 for these lips. No, I get it, but she's putting it in context, you know, for for a darker skinned woman um, growing up. You and certainly I think, you know, you're pelted with all of these things that impact your your self-image and your the thoughts of your own beauty. And what she's saying, is, and I hope it resonates with with certainly with black women across the country, that you are beautiful, that, you know, no matter what you're seeing in the media, you are beautiful and, and times will change in any way. You're going to get these Kardashians that are going to try to uh, mimic you. So I didn't think she was throwing shade, but if it's shade, so be it. Yeah, I, I really didn't think it to be shade either, but I have to ask her, <laughs> I yeah, get, get a definitive answer from Shirley Ralph herself. Was it shade or was it just you telling your 15 year old self the facts about what's going to happen in 2023? Well, Jeff. the Kardashians are going to hear it and get warm and fuzzy. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, she's talking about colorism, texturism, featurism, because if you have 4C hair, a bigger nose, bigger lips, and your brown skin, uh, you're going to be put at the back of the line. And that's everything that she's talking about. But all those things now are in demand. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it is interesting how, uh, uh, what, what's, who sings Baby Got Back? Uh, I can't, Sir, is that Sir Mix-a-Lot? Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> Sir Mix-a-Lot, Baby Got Back, he, and how he talked about, you know, give me a sister, I can't resist her. He showed, sisters, right, he showed the sisters love with their butts. And, and, he, and even in the video, you know, he like kind of rips the page out of a book where there's this slim, thin, white, blonde model. And, you know, he replaces her. So it's interesting to see that how how this world has transpired into women wanting to be black women specifically in every instance versus black women wanting to be white women or women wanting to be white women as it all oftentimes was for decades, even centuries, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame white women for wanting to look like black women. I mean, there were no lies in that statement at all. Um, there's nothing wrong with her lips. There's nothing wrong, wrong with her skin color. I, I, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Now, maybe she was shading the Kardashians. Maybe, maybe she wasn't. I don't care. But she was speaking to a larger reality. I didn't take it as being about the Kardashians per se. They were just a microcosm of the overall trend that we're seeing with women wanting to emulate the features of black women. And again. I can't blame him. I get it. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And let's not rule out Shirley Ralph smarts. Maybe it was tactical. Maybe she slid the Kardashian's name in there just so she could bring attention to what she had to say. Because without the Kardashian's name in it, let's face it, it might not have gotten the play that it had. Dominique, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think she is shading them. But uh, to, to everyone's point, not just them. It's the idea of shadism and colorism. I do think we've come a long way. I don't think we've overcome it. I still think light-skinned and white women are held up as the paragons of beauty. I do think darker-skinned women still face discrimination. Lupita Nyong'o is more the exception than the rule. We're getting there. Everybody wants to be black till the police come. We're still there. They want certain features of blackness, but not their responsibility. I also think she makes an important statement about cultural appropriation. And that's why I think the Kardashians are in the mix because what they do is not just get the lips and the booties, they appropriate so many aspects of our culture and monetize it. And so uh, I think there is a, a an important commentary for the people that were saying she was throwing women under the bus or being catty. I don't agree. I think it was a social commentary about the exploitation of black culture, black women, colorism, shadism, and cultural appropriation. I don't think it could be said any better. I, th- I, I think you're spot on there, Dominique. Uh, so before we go, I wanna shine a light on a story that you should know, but either uh, hasn't hit the mainstream media or simply isn't getting the traction that it deserves in a segment called In Case You Missed It. 
A man is having issues with his wife after she reportedly asked him to give her half of his annual Christmas bonus. The man revealed that his wife is upset because he refused to give her his $1,000 Christmas bonus. He claims his wife receives roughly the same amount from her parents during the holidays, so they keep their funds separate. However, her parents did not give her the usual amount this holiday, so she asked him to pay. Share your bonus you earned from your new promotion. He said they've never split the money 50-50, so there's no reason to start now when it benefits her. They're arguing about the bonus is causing a little tension in the relationship. How do we handle this, Mr. Married Man Ed Sanders? You know, the, the safe answer is give her the money and be, you know, go on about it. But, but I get it. You know, I mean, you're going into the holidays. I, I would hope that as a as a couple, they've talked about, you know, the budget for uh, Christmas gifts. It sounds like it's about half of what they're going to be spending. Oh, is that, oh couples year. are supposed to talk about Christmas budgets? I didn't, I didn't you know. know. I didn't you know that. Did, okay. This is how you stay a couple, you know? Oh, this is okay. how you stay a Wasn't couple. Aware. You have like, to hey. talk. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to start a blog on that. <laughs> yes, good. Jeff? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old man, but none of this makes sense to me. I mean, when you stand before God and man and you unite as one, that applies to your finances, too. Like, I get that maybe they agreed to this. I don't understand why they would. Like, maybe I'm just old fashioned. This shouldn't even be a thing. I mean, when you come together as a married couple, what's hers is yours and what's his is yours, too. I mean, that that's just that's how it's supposed to work. I don't get I don't get the purpose behind having things be so separate. I mean, why, why even get married? I mean, I, I don't I don't get it. Alicia. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, if you have to ask him for it, he obviously didn't want to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> the real problem is her parents. They sure they part of the responsibility. <laughs> don't put that off on him. That's her parents. Her parents ruined her marriage. Yeah, call your mom and daddy. This don't have nothing to do with me. And at the end of the day, this man probably has spent his part in his head. You know, he knew what he was going to get with his money. And I'm like, I, I, I feel like that that was rude of her to feel so entitled to ask him for 50% of his bonus when they've never split it before. And so I just, I, I just, I don't like entitled people. And, um, and, and, but at the end of the day, either he can give her the 50% now or 50% of divorce. <laughs> I mean, but she's his wife. I mean, she should be entitled to it. They're entitled to each other. What? What is this? Like, why are we even doing this? I don't get it. Five hundred dollars should so be Jeff, a uh, Jeff, let me ask you this. So, Jeff, you believe married couples should have one account with both names on it? Yeah, sure. I mean, they can have as many accounts as they want, but the understanding should be is that the, the funds are together. You're you're one unit. You're a couple. Like, am I going crazy? Like, Dominique, is Jeff going, going crazy? crazy? She married the Grinch who stole Christmas. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> what happened to the Christmas spirit? You're supposed to want to give me out because you love me because I'm your wife. Of course, maybe that's why I'm not married anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get you. I think we're missing the fact that she never split her Christmas money with him. But he didn't ask. <laughs> he shouldn't have to. It doesn't make no, any sense. <laughs> Ask and thou shall receive. That is. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jeff and Alicia and Dominique. That is the business of being black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. 